you guys for being with me today. We have got, um, we're going to be continuing in the book of Joshua. This has been an awesome study so far. Today we're in our 14th message in the book of Joshua. This whole series is called uh, A Life Lived for God, which is just a beautiful beautiful thing we're going to see here. Last week we were in a message which was called Go After It. Go After It, which was in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And what we saw in that study was we saw the significance. Um, there was four significant things that kind of stood out to us in that study. These were significant things about Joshua as well as with the people. First of all, we saw their anticipation. Their anticipation. What happened? They'd, gotten, they'd received wonderful news from the messengers. The messengers had been on their three-day journey to Jericho, and they've come back, and now they've shared what it was that they've learned. Now, not only during that time did they reach Rahab, which was wonderful. They shared with her the good news of their soon, to, their, their soon arrival, but also at the same time, they brought back the good news, the fact that God had been faithful that God had prepared the way for them, that God had made a way for their victory as they would move into the promised land. So as Joshua and the people hear this news, what happens is they're excited. They wake up, they, they waked up, they waked up real early the next morning. <laughs> they, they woke up early the next morning and they gathered their things together and they, they literally broke camp and within a single day's time, this mass of people moved about five miles and arrived at the borders or the shores of the Jordan River. So first we saw was their anticipation. And then what we saw was the fact that by this incredible mobilization of, of humanity in this short period of time, what we saw was there had to be great unity in their, in their ranks. So we saw here there was no dissension. There was no complaining amongst the people. They moved as one. They were following their Joshua. And what happens is they arrived at the shoreline. Here they are at the Jordan River, ready to cross. But God had different plans. Right? God told them when they arrived, well, guess what? Now you got to wait three more days. You've waited 40, day, 40 years, and guess what? You're going to wait three more days. And what this brought us to was their patience. Their patience. We find here that they're not given instructions until the third day. So they arrive, they set up camp, they don't know how long they're going to be, and they sit and they wait for three days, not knowing what is going to happen. Now we can, ex we can imagine the excitement, right? They've been waiting all this time, and now they're literally at the border. They're sitting on the shore looking across into the promised land because realize the Jordan River is only about 150, 200 feet across. It's not a massive river. So they're able to see into the promised land. But what happens is they set up camp. They get comfortable for that three-day window. And what we found was the fact that God was calling them. He was giving them instructions of what it was they were to do. And what we found is in Joshua 3.3, those instructions were this. And they commanded the people saying, When ye see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So here we see their determination. Their determination. They know what it is they're to do. They're to keep their focus on the ark. Now we know from our study of the book of Exodus that the ark is a picture. pictures two things. It pictures the word of God, but it also pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to see what it's telling us here is as the men of God, as they handle the, 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 the ark, which is this picture of God and God's word, as they get up and they carry it, they're going to follow them. They're to go after it. They're to leave their comfort zone. They've created a little bit of a home here in that three-day window, but it says they're supposed to leave their place and go after it. And what we did last week was we related kind of this example of the Israelites. And we applied it to ourselves as we thought about us going after it, right? We thought about what it meant for us to be in our pursuit of God, surrendering to Him, because we're, so, we're to go after the Lord. We do that by surrendering to Him. We thought about going after His Word, studying it diligently. Thought about going after his work, right? Reaching the lost world, telling and teaching and training people in discipleship. We thought about his holiness, pursuing his holiness, going after that, where we live a life that does glorify God, that's not about our flesh. 
And in going after this in our Christian life, we should be following and fulfilling the very thing. We should have anticipation. We should be unified. We should be patient. And we should be determined. So as we continue in Joshua 3, what's happening now is, just to keep in mind, their focus is to be on the ark. That's going to be what he's just told them. Now they're all kind of mobilizing together. Now they mobilized three days before, but now they're being mobilized behind the single solitary item. They're supposed to march behind the ark. And what's interesting about the ark is the ark, and I know we all visualize the ark in this situation. There's going to be that shiny golden ark. But recognize the fact that it is always covered when it's moved. Okay? They always cover it up. Look at this in Numbers 4, verses 5 and 6, and verse 15. It says this, And when the camp setteth forward, okay, this means when you're getting ready to break camp, you're going to move forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil, okay? This is the separating veil, the veil that would separate the holy of holies, right? He says you're to take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Why is that important? Because the ark was not to be seen by human eyes except for the high priest one time a year. So what's happening is they're taking the veil down so they can't see the ark. They're then taking the veil and they're covering the ark with the veil. They're wrapping up so they're not going to be exposed to the ark. There is a separation there. It says, And they shall take down the ark, covering the veil, and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and then shall put thereon the covering of badger skin. They then bring skins, and they wrap it with that, and shall spread over it a cloth, wholly of blue. Then they wrap it up in this blue cloth. Then they put the staves thereof. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to be set forward, after that the sons of Kohath, these are the Kohathites, these are Levite men of a certain sect. And he says they come to bear it. Their job was to bear the load of carrying things. And they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. So we certainly see here these instructions as they are to follow the ark. They are to follow and as, so it, as we're imagining today as they're stirring and these, these guys are wrapping up the ark and all this stuff is going on. The instructions we're going to continue with today. And our message today is called Wonders Among Us. Wonders Among Us. And we're going to see what that actually means in just a moment. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our scripture. Lord, thank you so much for today, God, for giving us this time when we can gather around the truth of your word. Lord, help it speak to our hearts, God. Help us to be uh, people that have ears to hear. God, help me. Lord, to, to get out of the way. You know that I have studied and prayed over this scripture. Lord, I have spent time and energy with you. And Lord, I just pray that you help me to give what it is that you've given me. Lord, I pray that uh, the element of humanity would be removed from this message, God, that I would just be here to hear what you have for us. God, thank you so much for speaking to us already. Thank you, Lord, for using the message, uh, the singing, uh, Lord, to prepare us for the message. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters being, uh, Lord, uh, diligent and being here, and Lord, uh, being faithful, Father. I pray that you'll do a great work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3, verses just 4 and 5 today. It says here, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, speaking of the ark, obviously, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So these instructions now are for the people. Joshua is now, these are now being relayed to them. Now we notice right away there's an immediate respect. There is a reverence for the ark. The people are to stay a certain distance away. And that's the first thing we notice in our, in our message here is the reverence. It says, yet there shall be a space between you and it. Okay? There shall be a space between you and it. Now this distance is out of respect. It's out of honor. And it's also out of a healthy fear 
of God. Okay, And we'll get to that aspect of fear in just a minute. But first of all, I want us to look just at the ark itself. What it represents. Now in our study in Exodus, if you were not there, we talked about a lot of different details of showing and revealing how the ark is a picture of the Lord. One of the first things we'll talk about is this. The fact that the ark is made out of wood. Okay? The structure underneath is made of shittim wood. It is a corruptible uh, material. Right? What happens to, to wood over a period of time? It will rot and it will be returned back to the dust of the earth. So it's a picture of humanity in that wooden structure. But then the whole thing's encased in gold. Well, what that is is a picture of the incorruptible. What we see is here Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man pictured in that, in that ark. But then also the ark has got a crown of gold all the way around the top. That's how it's described. It says in Romans 14, 14, as John sees Jesus upon his return coming back and in judgment, it says in John, Revelation 14, 14, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And then they also the ark, guess what it contained? It contained the Ten Commandments. It contained the Word of God. And as Paul addresses the, the saving power of the Word, he says this in Ephesians 4.21, If so, be that ye have heard Him, Jesus, and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Right? This is a picture of the Lord. We see that in the ark. Are you guys with me this morning? Yeah. It is like a library in here. It's so quiet. You guys are amazingly paying attention. It's incredible. <laughs> I love the silence. I just want to tell you that. I love it. So don't make a sound. <laughs> but practically, what's interesting about this, it is the single item. When you get to the Holy of Holies, the most sanctified part of the tabernacle, there's only one item sitting in there. And guess what it is? The ark. Here it is sitting there. This is the most sanctified, the most holy place on the entire planet Earth, which is inside of that Holy of Holies. It's only to be looked upon one time a year in its glory by one specific person, right, on that Day of Atonement. And what we look at is the fact that this, this, um, this high priest, when he goes in there, what's happened is God has come down and his presence is going to manifest itself on Earth. And when it does, it's going to show up. Now, the lid of the, of the ark... That whole lid, this big solid gold lid, it has a center point, and there's these two cherubims that have got their wings facing in like this. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's a pretty close representation of it. And that center part right there, that's the mercy seat. And God's going to show up right there in this amazing place. And what happens, in fact, that the high priest, what's happened to him? He's been preparing himself for months and months and months. He's working on himself. He's sanctifying himself so that he might be worthy of this incredible honor. But also for the fact that, guess what? If he goes in there and he's unworthy, he dies. He dies. They used to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle. And when he would go in there, why do he have bells on his outfit? Ching, 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 ching. Because when the bells stop, uh-oh. <laughs> right? It's a practical thing, but it's, it's a truth. So we look at this and we go, man, oh man, here's this incredible honor. This ark is something that is absolutely incredible. What we find is the fact that what it shows us is there's an amazing separation between God and man during this time. That veil that's there, it separates the Holy of Holies. And that priest, when he went through that veil, man, he was taking his life into his own hands because there is a great separation. But you and I during the church age, we can't relate to that. It doesn't even make sense to us. We don't even see it because our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what he did? He gave us access. He gave us access to the Father 
through his sacrificial death, God opened the door for us. And the separation between God and man was destroyed. In Mark 15, 38, it says this, and the veil of the temple, right? This is the temple. This is the tabernacle. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. Rent in twain, meaning torn in half. And what's interesting is that then it says, from the top to the bottom. Realize in this tabernacle at this time, that veil is about 30 feet tall. It's massive and it's heavy. And the reason why it tears from the top to the bottom is to say, you know what? There was no man involved in this rip. This rip from, from here down, God tore this thing in two. Matthew and Luke both record the exact same thing. But what it shows us is separation. But so for us, there is no separation between God and man. Listen, in, in, in Hebrews 4.16, 4, it says this, Let us therefore, this is the therefore, what it means, the therefore, that's because of Jesus. Let us therefore, because of Jesus, yes. come boldly unto the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes. We can go to God at any time. We don't need a special ceremony. I don't need a priest. I don't need anybody. It's just us and Him. There's this intimacy, this closeness, this wonderful love that exists between us. But see, that's not the case for these Israelites. Do you remember what God was telling them? Remember back whenever we were talking about in Exodus, when they were going to go, whenever God was going to come down on Mount Sinai, and the people were going to gather around the mountain? God was very specific to make sure that they did not get too close. They had to keep their distance. Exodus 19, verses 12 through 17. And then 20 through 25, it says this, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Notice the third day. And come not... At your wives, he says, look, I want you to be completely holy. There'll be no sexuality, no nothing. So don't even touch your wife. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that they were thunders and lightnings and a, a thick cloud upon the mountain. The voice of the trumpet exceeded loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Man, they're freaked out. Whoa, scared. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. Stay away. And the Lord came down unto Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the mount, uh, up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. Don't let them get close, and many of them perish if they do. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth unto them. And Moses said unto the people, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain, sanctify it. Lord, you told us to, to keep them back. They can't come. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come thou. And on Aaron, but let, thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. He's saying, Look, even though you've told them not to come, guess what? They're a stiff-necked people. Yeah. Right? I told them not to, but there's a really good chance they're going to come through anyway. So you go down there and reinforce this truth. So Moses went down to the people and spake unto them. Exodus 24, 24 verses 1 and 2. He said, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, for they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. So we see a precedence of distance. We understand the fact that, gosh, this, there's a reason for this. Why? Because it's a matter of protecting them. He's protecting them. Understand, they're going to display their obedience by following the instructions that God has given them. But also, guess what? They're probably motivated by a little bit of fear. 
Because as I said, they trembled when they heard the mountain man, when they heard God speak and they saw the thunder and the lightning. They fear the Lord. But what about us? What about us? Do we fear the Lord? With our all-access pass to God, right? Can we get a little bit too comfortable sometimes? Can we think, you know, hey man, God's good with everything. No. Should we be fearful of Him? Yes, we should. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The knowledge of the holy means walking with God, living a life that's holy. Job 28.28 28 says this, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Your life, because of your holiness, is going to reflect the fact that you have an understanding of who God really is. You fear the Lord. Your life shows it to us. There are verse after verse that point to this same point. But what we understand from this is the fear of the Lord is displayed in the fact that our life is holy. If we fear the Lord, our life reflects it because of our holiness. If we're living in sin, guess what? We don't fear the Lord. And there are a lot of people that do not fear the Lord. They have an improper view of God. Amen. Because remember, we stand accountable to Him. <laughs> the Heavenly Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Yes. And does He love us? Yes. He loves us so desperately, more than we can possibly imagine. But at the same time, while He is our Heavenly Father and He loves us, He is also our righteous judge. Amen. Right? And people love the loving part of God, that judgment part. They're like, man, can we just skip over that section there? You know what I'm saying? I'd rather not be accountable. Because understand, we are accountable whether or not we want to be or not. And you see, our intimacy with God, our intimacy with Him, it's through obedience. It's through reverence. The distance that we experience with God is not because of God. Right. It's because of disobedience. Yep. It's because of sin. We're the ones that create distance between us and God. Now, which brings us to our second point. The distance. The distance. You see, the Israelites, they were not redeemed to the Lord like we are. They did not experience salvation the way, did, the way that we did. They've got to keep their distance. It says about 2,000 cubits by measure come not near unto it. 2,000 cubits. Do you know how far that is? That's 3,000 feet. That's over half a mile away. They're like, man, there's the ark. I'm just going to keep it in view there. There's the ark way over there. So there's a specific point. God's saying, look, you know what? The intimacy that we will one day have, right now, you don't have it. The common man is not going to be close to the ark. That picture of God is going to be kept far, far away. Even though it's wrapped up in the, in the, in the, in the veil and the badger skin and then that blue thing, now you've got to have 3,000 feet between you and it. Because understand, what's happened is you and I, we've experienced salvation. They've never experienced salvation. They don't understand what it is. Their salvation is through works and faith. Our salvation is by grace. There are two different time frames. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And what we find is the fact that these guys don't even know. They have no idea of God, God, God's design or God's plan to redeem the world. They don't have any perception of what crucifixion is. Recognize the fact that at this point in time where we are here in Joshua, it's going to be 800 years before crucifixion is even invented. The Persians haven't even dreamed it up yet. So there's no way in the world they are looking forward to the cross that they have absolutely no clue of. And people will tell you, and I have biblical arguments or theological arguments with people about the fact that well, they're saved the same that we are, the same way that we are. They're saved the same way, just by faith, by faith, by faith. They're trusting in the future. They're, they're looking forward to the cross. And I can just tell you this. Go into the Old Testament and find me a new birth. 
God, find me a, show me a born-again moment in the Old Testament. You can't because it doesn't exist. There are no born-again moments in the Old Testament because they are under the law. And under the law, why do they have to make atoning sacrifices again and again and again? Because they have not been redeemed. When Nicodemus has shared this truth, when he's told about what it means, that's why, why do you think Nicodemus is like, what? It's clueless. Nicodemus is under the law. Listen, I told, we did this a few weeks ago, but John 3, verses 1 through 4. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a great teacher. Okay, he knows the law. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's your thing. Nicodemus, you've got to do that. Remember that in the Old Testament? Nicodemus was like, what? Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He doesn't get it. Because guess what? He is under the law. All those under the law are unable to experience that kind of intimacy that you and I experience as children of God. So what happens? They have to have distance. That's why they're being kept away from the ark. And what's so amazing is the fact that here we are as born-again believers, and we have this incredible access to the Lord. Amen. Yet in our lives, there will be times when there will be distance. Won't there? Not because God wants us to be distant, but because of who we are. Right. right, You and I, man, when we were born into sin, guess what? There was, a, there was sin. There was sin in our life. We were disobedient. The children of disobedience, the Bible calls us. And we were separated from God. But then Jesus came. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Here you go. Boom. Here, guess what? Your church age, hey man, you're being redeemed by the blood of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And we have this amazing opportunity. The great love that God has for us. We're supposed to experience that love and we're supposed to, to, to give it back to Him. But realize, the same love that you and I are supposed to express is being is taught in the Old Testament. God tells them in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.5, He says, look, this is how you're supposed to love me. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Amen. But then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and guess what He says? Mark 12.30 And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Notice that there's an extra one in there. The mind. Decisions. We get to choose whether we receive Christ. Amen. You make a conscious choice. You decide, you know what? You know what? I'm going to receive. I'm, I remember the night when God called me, man. Mm. I was under conviction yes. because I saw myself for the first time the way God did. And I realized how unholy I was, mm. how broken I was, how in deep need I had of the Lord. Mm. Thank you, and I made a choice, man. When he asked me that night, he said, would you like to receive Christ? And in my mind, I said, yes, I do, because my heart overwhelmed me. And even though I didn't understand everything, I didn't have all the details, man, I knew in my heart that God was calling me. And I, I gave with my mind, I made a decision to fall upon my knees, and my wife and I called out to the Lord that night, man. August 11, 2001, I'll never, ever, ever forget it. And see, that's the beautiful thing. We're given this opportunity. And because of the fact that God loves us. See, we think about this, the fact that God's love, He tells us how we're supposed to love Him. And that love is supposed to flow out of us. It's what we're created to do. It's supposed to just come out of us. Because understand the fact that God loved us 
more than we even understand. He loved us before we even understood what love was. He loved us before we were even formed. <laughs> Listen, First John four nineteen. We love Him because He first loved us. God showed us what love was and what love is. And it's because of His great love for humanity that He tells these Israelites to stay 3,000 feet away because I love you. I'm protecting you from what will destroy you. But you see, it's exact same, it's exact opposite for us. Exactly the opposite. Their situation, they're working for their salvation. Ours is by grace. So what happens for them? God's, God's instruction to us are not to stay away. What are instructions to us? Stay close. Stay close. Don't ride the 3,000 more. No, I want you right here. Right here. You are my child, and I want you right beside me. Listen to the instructions in Colossians 2.6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. I don't want you close to Him. I want you to be in Him. I want you to be one with Him. I want Christ to be flowing out of you. You're a representation of Him. You're supposed to take on the fullness of Christ. So listen to this. So we're to be close, but they're to be distant. So first of all, we saw their reverence. Then we saw their distance. Now we'll see their knowledge. Their knowledge. Verse 4 continues. That ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. So we've seen their reverence, right? As they're maintaining their distance from God. Last week we saw here that the Levites are going to be carrying this thing. They're supposed to follow them. They're supposed to keep their eyes on them. And that's going to be kind of like their directional um, guide for them. So God's not going to just let them wander. Yeah, Jericho's that way. Start walking. No. God gives them a specific direction. He says, and why does he do this? Now, I thought about it like this. It's almost like when you look on your GPS, you know the little directional arrow? Yeah. yeah. Right? You kind of know, hey, I'm supposed to follow that little guy. Well, this is kind of like their GPS. Follow the ark. Okay? Keep your eyes on the ark. Why is it they need to have, why do they need that ark? Because remember in verse 4, it said this, for ye have not passed this way here to 4. This is new territory. You've never been here before. I'm going to guide you through this. Think about this. You and I. How many times have we been places or driven someplace and not know where you were? Has anybody got lost besides me? You know what I'm talking about? And that is a stressful thing. You know, especially if you're running out of gas or something like that. And you're like, oh, man. And you just keep turning and turning expecting something's bound. I'm bound to recognize something soon. And you just said, maybe that looks like I've been, no, I've never seen that before. Oh, please, Lord, please. Yeah. No, never been there. Never been there. And you just keep turning and turning. I mean, just, you would imagine if a helicopter's following you, are like, what is wrong with this guy? He's insane. He's trying to get from the police. We're just driving and driving, trying to find a way of where we're going to go. And what the fact is GPS, man, for people like me, man, that's a lifesaver. When I was in college, short story, I promise you'll be quick. When I was in college, I knew I had no sense of direction. And I went with three of my buddies. We were going to Myrtle Beach. And they said, oh, man, you know, Dave, and we're, we're driving along and about an hour into it. And they're like, man, we're all so tired. Dave, you drive? And I'm like, um. <laughs> There's no GPS back then. I'm just telling you right up. Okay. And they're like, I was like, I mean, I guess. But, I mean, I'm not real great with direction. Hey, you'll be fine. It's easy. I'm like, okay. Straight shot. I'm like, okay. And they all go to sleep. <laughs> when they woke up. We were almost two hours into Georgia. <laughs> they were like, where are 
I was like, I'm not lying. I've been looking for a Myrtle Beach sign. He's like, no, it's way behind us, man. <laughs> you need to get in the pasture seat. I'm like, I told you I was going to be driving in the first place. But so GPS, man, what happens? It guides us, right? And what we find is the fact that, you know what, for them, this is going to function kind of like a GPS. But only for them, it's a God positioning system, right? Their GPS, they're going to keep their eyes not on that arrow. They're going to keep their eyes on the ark. Remember it said in Joshua 3.3, 3, and they command the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, the priests, Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Just follow your GPS. Follow this guide. And the most wonderful thing in the world, the best thing about their GPS is that it's never wrong. You ever been following your GPS and you're like, that, there's a forest there. I mean, how am I going to drive through the forest? You know what I'm saying? Your arrow's pointing, you're just floating out in no land. The good news about God is that's never the case. And what's amazing, see, for them, it's the ark. But for you and I, it's this. Amen. They follow the ark. We follow the word. Here's your GPS. Here's your directional marker. Joshua, uh, Psalm 119, says this, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Chandler, you go, girl. Be in this thing. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Yep. Hello, GPS. Right? And the most wonderful thing about this GPS is you never get lost if you just stay following where it tells you to go. Even if you go someplace where it says here in verse 4, you have not passed this way heretofore. And what if in your life you've never experienced the loss of a loved one? It's new ground. Never been that way before. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's troubles at your job. Maybe it's your family. Struggles with your children, struggles with your husband or with your wife. Maybe it's depression. You've never been there before. Never been this way before. Whatever it is. Guess what? God knows. God knows where it is you're supposed to go. He's given you direction. He's given you a guide to follow. So here we are, man. Not only does He know where you're to go, but He knows how you are to go. That's why as children of God, we don't face the future with fear. That's not the case. Because our GPS is never, ever wrong. It will never lose power. It will always point us in the right direction if we will just follow where it tells us to go. But even when we don't follow, even when we live in our, in our heads and we make our own choices, what will happen? God will recalculate our boneheaded decisions and incorporate them into His plan and get us back on course. When you don't listen to your GPS and you just take some random turn, it's like recalculating. Circle back here, you turn, you turn, you turn. And if you'll just listen to it, guess what? Eventually it'll get you back where you need to go. Some of us, our detours are longer than they need to be. Some of us go off into la-la land, man. We end up in Timbuktu. But if we'll just keep listening and follow that arrow, guess what it will do? It'll get us back on course. And y'all know I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there anyway. Romans 8.28. But I'm going to go all the way to 31 today. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. All things. He says your good decisions and your bad decisions, the good and the bad, I'll use them 
Verse 29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he did also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God saved us so that we would become an image of Christ. We're supposed to look like Him, a born-again child, that He might be the first among many brethren. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was resurrection power that was used to save, to bring Him to life. It's the same resurrection power that brings us to Christ. He's the firstborn of many brethren. That's us. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. God says, look, I'm empowering you. I'm showing you what to do. I'm giving you all that you need to be successful in this life. I'm taking care of all the details. Just follow me. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? All that stuff, that land we've never been on. What do we say to those things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This GPS is never wrong. Just follow it. So we see their reverence, their distance, their knowledge. Now let's look at their sanctification. Verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. To be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. It means to be consecrated. Set apart for God's use. And when we think about uh, Moses, what's happened? Remember whenever he was up on the mountain and he came back down, what did he do? Verse 19, Exodus 19, 14. And Moses went down from the mountain unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. Sanctified. Sanctification is again and again and again talking about what is it? It's to be wholly consecrated unto God. This means we're surrendered to the service of the Lord, not service to ourselves. Okay? You want to know what it means to be sanctified? We're set apart for the Master's use. This is what we've been discussing on Wednesday nights for a week after week after week after week. Because what happens? Gosh, we want to do it. We want to follow the Lord. We want to do what He calls us to do. We think about, man, you know what? I, I want to be a part of God's plan. I want to do what it is He's directing me to do. How do I do it? G P. Yes. Keep in mind, the Lord didn't just tell us what to do. He actually lived it. He modeled it for us. In John 17, verses 19 through 20, For their sakes I sanctify myself. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth, through the Word of God. Neither pray I for these alone, for, but for them also which shall believe on me through their Word. He's praying for us. Do you hear that? We're to be sanctified, set apart for the Master's use through God's Word, through the truth of who He is. Amen. See, God reveals to us His godliness. But in the same moment, He reveals to us our ungodliness. Yes. Mm -hmm. We see ourselves from the perspective of the Lord, and it's like, whoa, holy moly. i got some work to do on this. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. It's supposed to instruct us. For reproof, reproof stops us in our tracks. Right? Your child's running with a pair of scissors. Stop what you're doing. Whew! Put those scissors down. Okay. Right? We stop them. Then it says, for correction. So God stops us. He first of all shows us what's wrong. Then He corrects us. He says, hey, you know what? This is what you're supposed to do. Well, how do I do that? For instruction in righteousness. So it stops us in our tracks. It tells us what to do. And it instructs us how to do it. I don't know what just happened to my voice. That was weird. It sounded like I was doing puppet voice. <laughs> I used to be in children's church. I used to do some crazy voices. I had a flashback there just for a second. But, so what happens, in order for us to follow the Lord, 
guess what? We have to go where he leads us. Now, we certainly must be repentant, right? We certainly must have our be right with the Lord. But at the same time, it's not just about repentance. It's about surrender. Because I can recognize and I can get right with God with what I've done in my life. But I can still not be surrendered to what he's calling me to do. We've got to be willing to follow. Remember the fact that God's word, we're sanctified by the word. What this means is that the Bible defines who we are. I am a Bible believer. Now, do I believe it or do I live it? Someone should be able to look at my life and say, you know what? That person's life is biblical. It matches up with the description of who it is they are supposed to be. So it's not just in our actions, but it's also in our hearts. Realize the fact that sanctification is not just a spiritual thing. It's also physical. It's also mental. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Amen. See? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a complete surrender to God. And we can see, if we look at the scripture, we can see this thing that God's showing us, right? Check this out. That if we fear the Lord, we reverence Him, we keep the proper distance that He establishes for us in the church age, it's close. And we gain the knowledge, right? The knowledge through His Word of who it is or where it is we're supposed to go. And if we're sanctified, what's so awesome? Check this out. Sanctified, that means fully committed, right? Fully committed. That means heart, that means body, soul, and spirit. It's like my relationship to my wife, right? I love my wife. And guess what? I am sanctified to my wife from the rest of the world. All of the women in the world, I am set apart Amen. for her, right? Amen. Amen. Because she has my heart, right? She's my number one priority. And if we're sanctified unto the Lord, yes. He would have our hearts. And He would be our number one priority. Right. We're not double-minded. We're not struggling because we're trying to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with the world at the same time. Right. Yep. It doesn't work. Nope. James 1.8 says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Yeah. You know what he's saying? That guy can't make up his mind. Yeah. He can't finish it. He's like, I'm doing, I'm doing this. No, he's always like, I'm going to do, well, but I might do. But no, I'm going to, no, but I might. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the way they live their life. Yeah. Consider this, man. It is impossible. Is that us today? Is that the way we are with the way we think? Are we constantly trying to figure out what it is we're serving? We're serving God or serving flesh? Serving God or serving the world? Guys, we cannot be in a relationship with God while we're cultivating relationships in the world. Right. It does not work that way. I mean, I cannot be in a committed relationship with my wife and still be dating on Friday nights. <laughs> Doesn't work, right? I'm a double-minded man in that instance. We are to be single-minded, focused upon who it is we are to be. But the thing is, that's the way most Christians live their lives. I got a relationship with Jesus, but I date the world on the weekends. Right. Yep. Yep. Right. Scary, isn't it? But that's unfortunately that's what's happens. 
And what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, right? On Wednesday night, we've been talking about what it means to consecrate, what it means to set ourselves apart, what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And just this past week, we talked about Joshua 24, 15, and there's a little part in there in Joshua 24, 15. And he's challenging the Israelites because he knows they're stiff necks. He knows they got problems. And he said, look, you know what? I know who I am. I know who my family is. And he says this to them. He says, choose you this day whom ye will serve. This day. He's saying, look, today. You choose today. And guess what tomorrow you need to do again? Guess what tomorrow you got to do? The same thing. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Every day you got to make a choice. Because every day your flesh is trying to get its way. Will we serve ourselves or we serve the Lord? Are we in love with God or are we in love with the world? See, if we're sanctified unto God, man, He has our heart. We're wholly surrendered unto Him. So if the Israelites, if they will, if they will reverence God, if they'll keep the proper distance from God, if they will gain knowledge from God, if they will sanctify themselves unto God, then they will experience the wonders of God. Check this out. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The incredible miracles, right, that their parents witnessed, right? They saw the the plague after plague after plague, the miraculous, unbelievable, incredible things taking place in Egypt. They saw the incredible deliverance of the people out of bondage. They saw the parting of the Red Sea right before their eyes. And God's saying, hey, guess what? You're getting ready to see the impossible as well. The same kind of stuff is going to happen in your life. And what happens in our world today is people have this mindset. Man, if God would just do those kind of things nowadays. Man, if he would just do those kind of miracles. Man, I'd have, some, I'd have some sick faith, man. Oh, man, I'd be all about it. Or you know what? I'd believe in God if he would just do some of these things. Prove himself to me. And see, most people today, that's the mindset. I want God to prove himself to me. Show me some wonders. It's amazing that we have that mindset. But the fact is, realistically, people want God to prove themselves to Him. They want to see the wonders. They want to see what God's got in store for them. And see, the Christians, they want God to reveal Himself. But in reality, what God needs them to do is reveal themselves to Him. We need to prove ourselves to God. He has nothing to prove to us. It's not about that. That surrendered heart, that desire to know the Lord, man. We reveal who we truly are to Christ. God knows our hearts, but He wants us to be real with Him. Instead of expecting Him to prove Himself to us, God's saying, look, why don't you prove yourself to me and make sure that you are worthy? Right. You want to see the impossible happen in your life? Honor the Lord. You want to see God do things that are miraculous? Give Him your heart. Serve Him completely. Can I encourage you guys that, you know what, God is still doing miracles today. There's a room full of them in here today. There are people in this room who could stand up and tell you stories that would turn your hair white. You'd be like, holy, are you kidding me? God did that? Miraculous works of God. But what we find is the fact that, you know what, hey, there's some things that had to happen before that. See, they had to be obedient first. They had to be faithful first. Because you notice that that's number five. Number one was reverence. Reverencing God. Do we reverence the Lord? Do we truly reverence God? Do we fear the Lord the way that we should? Do we have the right distance? Are we close to Him every day? Are we sanctifying our hearts? Are we walking with God because we desire to know Him more intimately? And that takes us to the knowledge, right? 
Am we allowing the Word of God to shape us? Are we allowing the Word of God to instruct us? Are we allowing that GPS to guide us? Is our life holy? Are we sanctified unto the Lord? Because, hey, man, can I just tell you? God wants to do wonders. God wants to do miracles in our lives. The problem is, most of the time, He's waiting on us to be obedient before He comes to the time for Him to do wonders among us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for today, God, for helping us, Lord, to see the incredible truths revealed just in two little verses. God, thank you for what you've shown us in the book of Joshua, Lord, and how we continually see this incredible image of you in him. Thank you, Lord, for what we see in the Israelites as a picture of believers. God, that we must surrender our hearts, our wills, our desires. God, that you could do a work not only in us, but Lord, more importantly, through us. God, you know we, we know that you planted this church for the purpose. God, that not only might we share the truth with people of who you truly are, but Lord, that we can then develop and train people that they might be an emissary, a light in the darkness to a broken and hurting world. There are folks outside of this door that should be here today. There are strangers that we do not know. Lord, that you're going to cross our paths with them. Lord, I pray that you help us to be light and salt. Help us to make a difference, Father, because they desperately need to know who you are. Thank you, God, for the beauty that we have seen in our message, God the reverence, the distance, the knowledge, the sanctification, and the wonders. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have uh, worked in us. And Lord, I do pray that you help us, Lord, today to be changed, that we might seek to glorify you in the life that you've given us.